Good morning. Turn to Matthew 5, if you would. That should have been on my checklist. Actually, you're in Matthew 5, which is where we're going to be focused. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. What a statement that is. Thank you. That's all right. But before we dig into this, I want to start with another passage. My son Dan is preaching on the east side, east campus for this. We don't want to mention east though, right? He's preaching somewhere um, for the summer, and he's preaching on Hebrews. And I heard him start this last week, and I thought how appropriate it is to see what the writer of Hebrews is saying about the one who wrote, rather gave, the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to read to you the first four verses out of Hebrews chapter 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as He has inherited a more excellent name than they. What an introduction to a book concerning Jesus Christ. You've heard that it was said many prophets spoke in old, but God has spoken to us through His Son in these last days. Think about that for just a minute. The one giving the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, around the Sea of Galilee, and He gave this sermon, I'm sure, many times. This may have been the first that's recorded. The disciples have just been all confirmed. And Jesus is beginning to teach them. And around the Sea of Galilee, he goes up on one of the mountains. Crowds are following him. And he gives this most wonderful message. A message, I'm sad to say that in my years of ministry, I went back in all my sermon notes just yesterday for the fun of it to see if I had preached on the Sermon on the Mount before. I found one time I had done this. I don't date my notes, so I'm not sure whether it was in this church or the one before that or the one before that or the one before that. I don't know. So this is the second time I've preached through it. I have taught a class on the Beatitudes, but I'm telling you, I, as I have gone through this, and I'm looking especially at commentaries from men like Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Stott, A.W. Pink, John MacArthur, as I'm looking at all of these and reading through this and studying it, this is one of the most powerful messages in chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that you could ever come across in your life. The one who gave it is the Son of God. The one who spoke it is both God and man. 
and he's talking to us, especially in the Beatitudes, about what are the character traits of a true believer. We can say we believe, we can have knowledge, we can talk about Jesus the Savior, but have we been made children of the kingdom? Because we have come as a beggar, as the tax gatherer, and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I have nothing to offer you. I can only reach out an empty hand and ask you to be merciful and come to me and make me a child of your kingdom. That's humble, is it not? And the second beatitude is, blessed are those who mourn. And it's talking about spiritual mourning, grieving, shedding tears over what? My sin. My past sin, the sin that I commit as a believer, that all of us do. We are to look at sin as though it were, every part of it were rebellion against God. It's heinous. When we commit it, we should grieve. And this is what a child of the kingdom is like. He's one that's entered only by the grace of God because he's had nothing to offer. He's one that continues to see sin as God sees it and mourns over it and grieves over it. And then we come to this third beatitude. He's also meek. Blessed is the one who is meek who is gentle, who is humble, for he shall inherit the earth. All three of these first beatitudes are negative in a sense. They deal with us and what is wrong with us. We are sinful people. We have rebelled against God. We do things our own way. And we think, many of us think, We could just work our way to him and he'll be pleased with us. He's not. One who's broken one part of the law is guilty of all of the law. He needs to be made alive. He needs to be made new. He needs a change of heart. These first three have to deal with us. And remember the second one, the morning, that it's, you look at it and it is simply a puzzle because here is the one who is crying as John MacArthur entitled his chapter in his book happy are the sad blessed happy exaltedly joyful are those who cry who grieve what is what, what a statement that is what a paradox and this one the third one is a paradox as well Blessed are the meek because they will inherit. They will take over the earth. They will be joint heirs with Christ, the one giving this sermon. Is that what the world believes if you want to take over the world? That you should be meek? Gentle? No, not at all. Not at all. So my first question in today's message is, why is this third beatitude such a paradox as well? And again, it's on the negative side. Next week, we start seeing the things shift. Those who hunger and thirst, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now we're moving away from ourselves 
and how we relate to God, how we relate to sin, how we relate to our fellow man. And then we're moving to what we ought to be doing in the positive way, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But this, today, again, we're still with this paradox. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. One of the things that we hear about in, our, in this very day, if you watch the news, as I do sometimes until I can't take it anymore and turn it off, we live in a day in which we hear there are nations that are building up their war supplies. We hear about China. We hear about Russia. China has more ships than any navy in the world. They're building up their nuclear arsenal. All of these things are there. We hear it. Why do you suppose they're doing that? Because the natural man wants to take over the earth. The natural man wants to win great battles. And he says the way to do it is to be strong, not meek. To have intelligence, to be forceful, to see yourself as one that can accomplish great things and win great battles. Build up your military, build up your might. So we hear these things. This is the way the world looks at it. But then comes Jesus. And Jesus says, my children will inherit the earth and they will be exalted. They will be exultingly happy and joyful because they will inherit it. And here's the way. They will be the lowest of all. They will be meek and humble and gentle. And the world goes, what? Excuse me, I didn't get that. Maybe my batteries went dead. We saw that happen this morning. I, I didn't get that. You, you're telling me that the person who sees themselves as lowly around other people and meek, and when they're criticized, they won't respond in the same way? They will respond in love? When they're chastised, when they're made fun of, when all of these things go against them? And by the way, this is harder in some ways than seeing God and seeing what a pauper I am. I can accept that from God. He's God. I know who God is and I know who I am and I can see that difference. But all of a sudden the Lord says, it's the one who is meek that's going to inherit the earth. And that means meek in relationship to other people. Mild, lowly, humble. You see, I can take that from the Lord. But if you come up to me and say, you know what, you could really do better in your life. You could really straighten up. I'm suggesting you, I go, who are you? I know myself, and I know you, and I think maybe, isn't that what happens sometimes? Instead of saying, no, Lord, you were meek and lowly. You were humble. You gave us an example. If I'm your child, I can't do this by myself, but you've given me your spirit. I want to seek to be meek 
and mild in relationship to others. You see, the natural man looks at all of this and he says, I can do this. I can do it by force. I can outsmart my enemy. I can have cunning and craftiness. I can have intelligence. And by the exertion of my ability to show others who I am, I can be mighty and strong and I can take over. I can take this job. I can take this political office. I can lead a country and I can take over the world. But Jesus God's promised Messiah shows up with a totally different message, one that was even repulsive to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, no, we can do this. We're looking for God to send a leader who's a military man, who can come in and battle Rome and get them out of our land. That's the Messiah we're looking for. Jesus comes along and he proclaims a different king and a different kingdom, one not of this world. He taught spiritual traits and truths about his followers that were totally in contrast to the world, totally different. My followers are poor in spirit. My followers mourn and weep over their sin and the sin of their brothers and sisters in the church and the sin in the world. And my followers are meek and gentle with others. They don't lift up themselves. They don't promote themselves. They don't get angry when others come against them. They don't do that. Do you do that sometimes? I do. And I have to confess that. And I have to say, Lord, that's not what your follower does. That's not what you want. The second point on this is I want to, I want to just address what does Jesus mean by being meek? What does that word mean? There are two words in the Greek New Testament, and they're part of the same root family. One's an adjective. One is a noun. They are praus and prautes. Praus is the adjective, prautes is the noun. I want to give you some, some verses so you can get a feel of what this word means in the New Testament. What did Jesus mean? Blessed are the meek. Some translations say gentle. Here's the, here's the word praus, the adjective. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The word gentle there is the same word in Matthew 5. Meek, gentle. Jesus says, I'm that way. Come, take what I have to give you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is the way the, the followers of Jesus Christ are to be. Listen to Matthew 21, 5. Behold, your king is coming. He's riding on the colt, the donkey, the colt of a donkey on the triumphal entry. And it says of him, quoting the Old Testament, he comes riding on a donkey, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Here's one out of 1 Peter 3, 4 with the word prouse. And it's talking to wives and their husband. And it says, don't 
try to overcome them by teaching them and, and speaking to them if they're not a believer. Here's the way you are to live. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. How are women to win an unsaved husband? By living it, by showing them the reality of what the Spirit is doing in your life. Here's some other verses using the noun prautes. Galatians 5.22 says, there are nine fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and self-control. Galatians 6.1, if a man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, meekness, looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. Ah, now I can see my notes. Lest you be tempted and also come under sin. So look at Ephesians 4, 2. With all humility and gentleness, meekness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it's meekness is needed to keep church unified, to keep us together, to keep us as one. Colossians 3.12, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, even those who come with a complaint against me. That's humbling. Be humble. Be meek. 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. With gentleness correcting meekness, correcting those who are in opposition to you. Even those in the church that may be false teachers, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Be gentle. I can have the truth, but I'm to present it in a gentle manner, in a meek manner. 2 Timothy 2.25 excuse me, Titus 3.2, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, meek, showing every consideration to all men. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. First Peter 3.15, and this is the last, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, meekness, even when you're witnessing. Here's my summary of these verses, of what we can say that Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the meek. Number one, this is foremostly a character trait of Jesus Christ. He is both God and man. And he left his deity in heaven behind and he comes to this earth and he becomes one with us and he, he's meek. He's showing us how his followers should be, should live. It's a character trait of Christ. Second, it is one of the nine fruits, as we've said. It is that which the Spirit of God the fruit 
that He wants to produce in our lives. He wants to make each one of us, like Christ, meek and mild and gentle. Thirdly, it is how we are to treat one another in the church of Jesus Christ, even those caught in sin. Gently, lest we should, too should be tempted and fail. Fourth, it's the way we're to treat all men, even false teachers in the church. Not shouting, not lifting up ourselves, but humbly coming to them and addressing them, and addressing their need. And fifthly, it is necessary in order to preserve the unity of the body of Christ in the church. Lastly, six, we are to manifest it when we are witnessing to unbelievers. What, what kind of a personality are they to see in us? A know-it-all? Somebody who has it? all put together, somebody who's forceful with them? No, somebody who comes along and talks to them like Christ talked to the woman at the well, or like Christ talked to the lady caught in adultery. He is the God-man, and he treated them mildly, meekly, with gentleness. He spoke the truth, didn't he? Go and sin no more. You've had more than one husband. But he's not shouting. He's not lifting up his person to them. He's meekly explaining what they need to hear, the truth. Now, as we talk, just kind of putting this all together and going a little deeper, three of the men that I read this past week, I wanted to share just a little snippet of how they summarized this term, meekness. Listen, first of all, A.W. Pink. He says, no single term is capable of fully explaining meekness. No single term can really explain it. It is inseparably linked to the word lowliness. It is the antithesis of pride, stubbornness, vengefulness, we liken it to the taming of the lion or making the wolf lie down with the lamb. It is the opposite of self-will or ill-will toward men. It consists of our spirit being made pliant, teachable, submissive. In relationship to others, it bears insults and injuries patiently. It is ready to accept instruction and admonition from the least of the saints. It leads one to think more highly of others than himself, to endure the provocations of others without being inflamed by them, and to remain cool when others get hot. Is that us? It should be, if we are meek. Here's Martin Lloyd-Jones, a couple of thoughts from him. Meekness is a true view of self expressing itself in both attitude and conduct with respect to others, the way we think about them and the way we conduct ourselves with them. This one is truly amazed. This one is truly amazed, the meek person, 
that both God and man can think of him and treat him as well as they do. You ever get upset with somebody who doesn't treat you the way you think you should be treated? What Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying is we ought to be surprised that God treats us and other men treat us as well as we do, as well as they do. This man doesn't demand, emphasize his own rights, assert his own privileges, is not defensive. That's a meek man. Finally, John MacArthur. The meek man has died to himself. He bears no grudges. He does not get upset over his own injuries or hard times. He does not get angry over personal issues. He doesn't defend himself. He gives the glory to God alone. He receives criticism well and continues to love those who give it. He forgives and makes restoration and peace when possible. Man, as I read these men this week, and I encourage you to get some of their books, reading through the Sermon on the Mount, I'm humbled. I want to be that kind of man. I'm not so sure I always have been. In fact, I'm pretty sure I haven't been always that way. But I want to be more like Christ. I want to be lowly and meek. I want to be humble. See, meekness is to permeate every part of our lives in relationship to others around us. That's the hard part. Because others don't always behave towards us the way we would like. We are to treat all others with respect, grace, kindness, humility, gentleness, and meekness in the church and outside of the church, in our families and outside of the families. I want to read to you from Philippians. If you have your Bibles, turn there to Philippians and chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, you probably remember this, Paul's writing, and I want to begin reading in chapter 2, Philippians verse 3, he says to us, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as what? More important than yourself. Is that easy? That's impossible, except for the Spirit of God in us. And we've got to say, God, I want to be, by your grace and by your power, that kind of person. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves. This is so important. Listen to these words which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being, being made in the image of men, likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Even death on the cross. 
Do you remember when two of the disciples, this gives me some encouragement when I see flaws in my own life. The disciples and James and John and their mother comes to Jesus in Matthew 20. Jesus, I want to talk to you about my sons. I'm wondering if when you're in your kingdom and you're on your throne, if they could be on your right and left. What did Jesus say? He says, if you want, he said, first of all, that's not mine to give. Who sits where? But if you want to be great in the kingdom, here in this life, you must be the servant of all. And then he even uses a stronger word, the slave of all. Have you ever thought that's the way a Christian should be? Christ gave himself, lowered himself, leaves heaven, comes here to walk in the dust of this earth, to have little of this earth's goods, to preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom so that people could enter and so that people could inherit the earth forever. This is the way his followers are to be. Paupers, mourners, people who are meek. By the way, meekness, we've got to qualify it. I always tell students that I teach, when you preach a sermon, qualify it. If you've been in my classes, you know what that means, right? You have got to make sure you teach all there is on the subject. Meekness, therefore, needs to be qualified. It doesn't mean that you are to give up the truth. It does not mean that we have a shy personality or, or just one that wants to fade into the background. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It does not mean that we do not confront brothers living in sin, but we do it in meekness and gentleness. But we do it. We don't, we don't turn our backs on that. It does not mean that we cannot bodily, or rather boldly proclaim the truth of the Word of God. We must proclaim it. Jesus proclaimed it. It does not mean that we do not address sin in our communities that we live in in our own lives. It does not mean that we do not display godly anger when God is defamed and ridiculed and slandered. What did Jesus do in the temple with the money changers? Smile? He wasn't defending himself. There was nothing he was trying to lift up. He was defending his father. He said, out of here. You've defamed my father's temple. Jesus also had some strong words to say to the Pharisees, the ones who were saying, we don't have to be humble. We're the ones who know everything. We're the ones who are close to God. We're the ones that are precious to him. They like to be seen praying in the street corners. They like to make a noise when they were giving so they could be notified and they could be lifted up. They were anything but weak. Jesus was an enigma to them. They wanted to be strong. 
They wanted to be able to say, we can do this. They needed to be corrected. I want you to listen to Paul's words over in Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 6 to 13. He had to be a little strong with the church at Corinth. He says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that as you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. <clears throat> and indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us as apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. For this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless, and we toil working with our own hands. We are reviled, and when we are, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Pretty strong words from the apostle. What's the reward, thirdly? What's the reward that Jesus is talking about? We shall, future tense, <clears throat> inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. The reward is they will be exultingly happy if they are meek because they will inherit the earth. That's amazing. It's not, it's not the strong, it's not the mighty, it's not the most powerful that are going to inherit the earth, and it's not this earth. It's the new earth which is to come in which we will reside with Christ in spiritual bodies, a real body, but Paul says a pneumatica, a spiritual body in 1 Corinthians 15. But when he comes again, when he returns and establishes the new heavens and new earth, we will reign with him on that new earth forever and ever and ever without sin, without death, without enemies, without people who want to take over. It's the meek that will be there. The reward is future, but we hold on. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, he's talking there about the future, and he says, those who suffer in this world, all that suffering will mean nothing compared to the glory of the kingdom on that new earth that we will inherit. Nothing compares to that. 
That's the final earth. That's the new earth. That's the complete earth. That's better than being in the garden at creation. Because there's no possibility of sin there. There was in the garden. And we know what happened with Adam and Eve. And we're seeing the results till this day in which we live. Jesus comes along and says to us, if you're part of my spiritual and heavenly kingdom, having recognized your absolute poverty, mourning over sin, being meek, you will inherit the earth. Who's going to receive the greatest rewards there? The one who has been the biggest servant here and put others ahead of himself and treated others the way he wants them to treat him. They are the ones that will inherit the earth. And there's an emphatic pronoun used here. It is only them that will inherit. Only they who are meek, who are mild, who are lowly, who put others ahead of themselves, who don't give in when they get criticized, who don't respond in return, even to their enemies. They leave vengeance in the hands of the Lord. In relation to all of this, I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing? And I mean this sincerely, and I include me. How are we doing when it comes to displaying a meek, gentle, lowly character in this world? In your family, at work, in church, in the stores, when somebody butts in front of you in the grocery line and you're in a hurry and you've got ice cream in your cart? Are you lowly? Are you humble? How are you doing? This is not something that we can just say, well, I, I've never been that kind of person and I, I, I just have to settle for what I am. No! As a child of the kingdom, you must be like that person. This is not optional. It's not something that we can put off till tomorrow or the next week. We need to be humble today. We need to humble ourselves before God and our fellow man. Our fellow man. That's why there's only one head of the church, and it's Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the whole church, and he is the head of every single church, not men. We have elders, we have pastors, thank God for them. They are gifted men, and men who are spiritual men, and they serve in that role, but Christ is the head of this church. And every one of us who is in leadership needs to remember that. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be meek. We need to be mild. We need to live out the role of a servant. This is certainly not the view of the world. The world is going to say, you're stupid. The way you behave. 
Why are you doing that? You'll never, get a, you'll never get along in this world. You'll never get anything in this world if you act that way. We can say that's the way my Savior acted. He was lowly and meek. This is the way he treated people. And Paul says, we are, be, we are being conformed to the image of his Son. Are we? All I know is this week, I spent a lot of time thinking about these things in relationship to me. And I suggest you do the same. Here's the thing. If you cry out to God, even if you're not doing well at this area in the moment, if you cry out to God, He has put His Spirit in you, He will answer those kinds of prayers. He will humble you. He will make you meek. He will give you what you need. But it's humbling ourselves before Him and crying out, God, I'm not always this way. But I want to be. I want to be a man who is gentle and meek and doesn't lift himself up. And who wins others by living it out so that people can say, I want to ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. I see something different. You're not like people in the world. You're not like my neighbors. You're not like family. You're not like people at work. What is it with you? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. One who came to die for me that I might be conformed to his image and changed. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but as the scripture was read this morning, out of Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's not those who hear the word of God and just nod their head to it. It's those who act upon it. Well, how can we do that? Through the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. He has come to teach us all things. He has come to give us all things. We cannot excuse wrong behavior and wrong thinking as a believer. We must turn to Him and say, God, forgive me. Make me like your son. Humble, lowly, putting others first. Putting their interests ahead of my own. I want to live this way. To be a follower of Christ and to be a member of the kingdom, I must live this way. And you must too. I hope you give some thought and prayer to all of this. This is one of the most penetrating verses, I think, in Scripture. You want to inherit the kingdom? You want to be exalted there? Serve others now. Get out of basin and wash some feet. Treat them as Christ treated them. This is a character trait of a follower of Jesus Christ. All seven of these Beatitudes are to be displayed in our lives. Not just one or two, 
all of them. Amen? We have some work to do, don't we? Let's pray. Father, I I thank you so much for your son, for this message that he preached around the Sea of Galilee, I'm sure many times, but certainly at the beginning of his ministry. He's the one who's come and spoken to us in these last days. There's no other word to come. This is it. And it was Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity that came and became man and taught us these things and lived these things before us. May we confess our sin. May we mourn over it. And may we come to you and pray for meekness and mildness, gentleness. May we be like Christ. We pray these things to his glory and honor and in his name. Amen.